Spencer, what'd you get up to this weekend? Got into some skiing, got into a little bit of biking. Not much, though. It's been kind of cold and snowy here in Colorado. It has. I got after it, too. Went skiing Winter Park. Got some fresh powder on those bumps. My legs are nice and sore today. But you know what? Guys like us, we go skiing, go biking on the weekend. We're healthy people. We are the target demographic for our sponsor this week, and that is Health IQ, the life insurance company that works with skiers, runners, healthy people, cyclists, because it can give healthy people like us a great quote on life insurance. That's right, Fred. And you've got no excuse not to have life insurance. You should just do it right now. Go to healthiq.com slash velonews. It's real easy. You get that free quote and you support us here at the Velonews podcast. Thanks to Health IQ. I'm praying for more snow, man. I want to get, get more skiing in. Or fat biking. True. All right, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Velo News Podcast. I'm Dane Cash here with Andy Hood. Andy, where are we? How you doing, Dane? We are in suburbia Ghent. You know, nothing romantic. We're not in a, some cool bar, coffee shop, you know, not bike shop, nothing like that. Man, we're in Airbnb suburbia. Well, uh, this city is uh, it's like 2,000 years old, so it's a little better than suburbia USA, I think. There's some history here. I mean, people have been living in this suburbia since Rome, which is kind of nice. But, mate, there's a pizza hut around the corner and a Texaco on the other corner. I mean, true. it's it's uh, it's not – we're not in old-school Europe right it's now. It's, it's not exactly the, the finest culinary options available to us. Well, we'll stop whinging and get right to it. What are we here for? What a, what a, what a tour of Flanders yesterday. The Rond delivered. Exciting race. I wouldn't call it the most exciting Ron in the history of uh, Ron's, 102nd edition. But uh, Nikki Terpstra nailed it, drove it home in a solo attack, and uh, what a ride. Yeah, he was pretty strong yesterday alongside a pretty strong team. So we are going to talk pretty much all about the Tour of Flanders for the, for the rest of the show. That's, that's our real goal here. We'll give you a quick recap of the Tour of Flanders, how it all played out, and then we'll just dive into some analysis on uh, you know, who came away from the race looking good, who disappointed us, and, and also what all that might mean looking forward to Roubaix. So, yeah, before we do too much analysis, we should probably break down what happened Sunday at the Tour of Flanders. One assumes that if you're listening to the Velo News podcast, you probably already have an idea. But just in case, uh, Nicky Terpster came away from that race with the win. He followed an attack, uh, something like 20, 25K out uh, by Vincenzo Nibali, of all people. And uh, left Nibali behind, caught up the survivors of uh, the, the breakaway, left them behind, and stayed clear to take the win with uh, Mads Pedersen taking second and uh, quick steps Philippe Gilbert and having third. So two quick step riders on the podium, which kind of sums up, I think, how yesterday really played out. Yeah, there was, uh, it was really quite a dynamic race. It didn't quite take off as much as we expected on the Muir. I mean, last year that really seemed to separate the race. This year... Everyone was more conscious and aware about how big the mirror was going to be with about 100K to go in the race. All the big contenders made it over that. The big selection really didn't come until really the last uh, couple of laps on the on the front finishing circuit. Uh, a couple of interesting rides. We had that early breakaway. We saw Ivan Garcia Cortina, young Spanish guy, making his first Robe appearance. And then we had that kind of you know really first move when we saw uh, Peterson right away with Langvelt. And Van Barl going ahead of the of the Quarmat, and that's really where the real action took place. Yeah, the uh, that that move, I think, because of who was in it. Not not that those guys are not talented riders. Obviously, Pedersen, a very talented rider, and uh, Van Barl has 
has been up there in this sort of terrain before. But I think most of the big favorites sort of looked at each other and said, well, we'll probably end up catching these guys. Not not too much to worry about there. And they were still at the row when Terpster went away, which is sort of an interesting decision for him to go while that group was was away. But he sort of he said yesterday that uh, in the press conference, he mentioned that that group had enough of a gap that Quickstep knew that if anybody was going to bring that group back, it was going to be Quickstep. And they didn't, they didn't want to work. They didn't want to you know, burn their matches trying to bring this group back. So instead, they just decided to attack, and that was going to be their their way of of uh, you know dealing with this group. And obviously, it worked to perfection because Terpstra eventually caught them and and immediately left them behind. Peterson was the only one who could actually stick with or even come close to sticking with Terpstra. Meanwhile, in the the chase group, there was there was a little bit of inaction. I mean, I mean, they were pretty well marshaled. I think when Terpstra went, they they did react pretty quickly, and they couldn't they couldn't get him right away. And then after that, there was some looking around, and, and nobody really wanted to help pull Gilbert or uh, Stevar to the to the finish. Uh, Sagan was was uh, he complained about it. I'll say that after the finish, he was not pleased. But I, I think uh, I, I tend to agree with the the way that uh, BMC viewed the situation, which is just you know what what could we have done differently? And and I really think this quick step team is just too strong. And that that was uh, that was the opinion of Van Avermaet and of uh, Fabio Baldato. So. Actually, chatted with them right after the finish, so we can hear that for for now and, and give you their thoughts on that. Talk about what's going through your head when Nikki went on the attack. Yeah, it was a good moment, and uh, yeah, it was uh, the right moment in the end. I think so. Uh, congrats to him. It was a hard moment, so I think he did a really uh, strong move and uh, yeah, dropping Nibali and all the other guys from the wheel because there was some reaction afterwards. Uh, I think uh, probably the strongest guy won today. Yeah. Do you feel like you come away from it thinking, ah, we could have done something different or just hats off to Terpstra? Yeah, I think hats off to Terpstra. I was able to do something. I think I was one of the strongest guys on the race, but I think Terpstra was maybe uh, yeah, just a little bit better than everybody of us. And took the right move, and uh, yeah, also it was pretty impressive to keep this uh, effort to the line because we we didn't wait too long uh, to to make the reaction. Do you feel like people were looking at each other a lot in the in the chasing group? Yeah, you look at each other, but the problem is, yeah, nobody's really strong enough to go away and to make a gap. And uh, if you're uh, not make the gap, it's normal you kind of close into each other, and then uh, you get a bit stuck, and that's that's the feeling I had. Yeah, also already uh, the, the races before. Can you uh, describe what you were telling the riders uh, when Nicky went away? Uh, I remained with Greg, uh, the old, uh, Jürgen. Jürgen was only to be on, uh, on difficult there. Uh, if you watch uh, immediately at the top of the Tonde, he was one of the first to go yeah. him and Astana. Ah, we know. Uh, Jürgen give everything. I cannot ask Greg to go there. But Tepsa was uh, amazing, strong. You saw even uh, with uh, Roland's uh, just chasing uh, to end the race at the beginning of the Quaremo, it would just keep the same gap. Then behind, of course, uh, they start to watch each other again. We step uh, with the numbers because uh, when you have uh, Gilbert. Uh, Steven on the wheel is no easy go full gas. Yeah, yeah. Nothing to say. At least from my side, the, the guys, uh, what they have, they give everything. Yeah. E- even even Greg, 
So you don't feel like there was something that they could have done different? It was just a day of, just today no, is how it was? I think so, not. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, you need to have uh, three Gregs, uh, like a quick step, uh, but yeah. then maybe yeah. you can change. I'm happy what the, the guys did, uh, looking all the race, always with Greg uh, next to him. No regrets. Uh, yeah. Chapeau to to the to Tamsa, to the quick step. Do you think that there is a solution? I, last year, you know, uh, everything can happen. Uh, you saw the crash today with the rain and with yeah. the, the cobble. Then uh, we need to believe. Uh, don't give up. Uh, that uh, that is the that is cycling. Yeah. You know, every race, uh, everything can change. So as BMC kind of pointed out, in this instance, I just, I don't really know what anybody else could have done. Terpster was really strong and uh, there were riders who BMC had there, but it just wasn't wasn't nearly enough. Yeah, I think the big error they made that that situation, Dane, was they didn't go right after Terpster, right when he jumped. Uh, Tish Benut said at the finish line, he was kind of blocked in at that moment. He said he felt like his legs did not represent his eighth place. But I think that was a decisive moment in the race when, when Terpster goes... If you're a rival of Quick Step, you got to go with that move because if you miss it, then they're just all those guys are blocked, knowing that you got Gilbert waiting in the wings and Stebar. Um, you know when you saw when when Terpstra did go and he did catch up to Peterson and Van Barrow and Langvout, again just kind of racing acumen. He's an old veteran; he knew exactly what to do. He just went right past those guys. If you go up to that group and you wait, and then you go again, you might have one of those guys on your wheel, and that just complicates things because you might have a guy, obviously, Mads Peterson, strong enough to really kind of keep that gap to Terpstra all the way to the line. So Terpstra knew, let's not complicate matters. He just drove it over the line because he had the motor to do that, whereas a lot of other guys might not have known what to do in that situation or had the legs that Terpstra had at that decisive moment. And then chapeau to Nikki, he rode a great race. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The only real way to avoid what happened is to, yeah, just get on Terpster's wheel right away because not only does he have those guys behind him, but as you pointed out, I, and I think, yeah, you, the, the main takeaway a lot of people are going to come away from Flanders and, and I think the greater spring classics with is just how strong Quickstep's been, but I don't I don't know that we should underestimate Terpster himself. I mean, this guy has already won a Monument Classic in the past. He's got a huge motor. He showed at E3 Harlbecka. I mean, there was a big chase group behind at E3 Harlbecka and they just achieved very little of gap closing uh, with, with a number of strong BMC riders. Nobody really managed to close him down at, at E3. So we knew he was super strong going in. He proved it again at Tour of Flanders. When, and, and as you point out, he went up to that group and left him behind right away. And it was good timing when he caught them up too because it was on a slope. It was on a climb. So that's the perfect place to, to catch that group and then be able to drop them immediately rather than have anybody hanging on on, uh, on flat ground. So I, I think Terpstra's motor and his classics acumen both both come in handy there. So uh, other than Quickstep, though, which obviously takes the cake for being the most impressive team, and, and Terpster, who, you know, Greg Van Avermaet and, and Fabio Baldotto, his sports director, both said was the strongest rider of the day. You know, who, who impressed you out there? Yeah, I mean, you have to go back to, to Quickstep. I mean, this year they've been dominating 
these classics, really been playing cat and mouse with a lot of these guys, really by just playing the aggressive hand. You know, hasn't been, they haven't been really too cute with their tactics. They've just been smash mouth, old school cycling, racing aggressively. And that's how you win these races. I think if you try to be too cute with your tactics, you're going to get caught out and you're going to lose the race to someone who's maybe quicker you, quicker than you in a bunch. And you saw, like you were just saying, with uh, uh, Nikki at the Heralbecker, he is he's obviously the strongest guy right now. We've seen a lot of parity across the big favorites, seems like, so far this year. But I would say that Terpster is the guy, obviously, who's clearly standing above the rest. And you have to say chapeau to quick step. They've been racing with this one-for-all, all-for-one mentality. And, you know, in the past, we've seen teams that kind of go in with co-leaders and they start attacking each other. You don't really see that at quick step. And there's got to be something there with that team dynamic. I don't know if they... You know, have a guarantee if 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 you part of this winning team, you get a big share of the prize money, or it's like just open bar. Uh, you know, the, all the left you can drink at the end of the end of the spring classic season. Well, I think Patrick Lefebvre has to be really happy with uh, Terpster taking the win because any of the younger riders on that team who might be thinking, well, will I ever actually get my chance if I keep putting the work in? Now Patrick Lefebvre can point to Terpster and say, yeah, Terpster's won Roubaix and he's won Flanders now, so you know that eventually you're going to get your chances. Uh, yeah, that all for one. One for all mentality is definitely what they espouse. You hear a lot of other World Tour teams talk about that. But Quickstep definitely seems to buy into it, at least for now while it's working. We'll see how they are, if it, if it stops working in a year or two from now, whether they're still uh, honky-dory about all for one, one for all. And what's impressive about Quickstep is the recruiting they have coming up from below. They have a lot of young riders who have already taken a few wins and these kind of uh, semi-classics coming into the big, big uh, major monuments here. And they have below the Gilberts and the Terpstras some really quality guys coming up through the rank. Part of that came from their U23 team they had. They folded that, I think, year before last. Just didn't quite have the money to invest there. But that's where a lot of this talent is coming from, from below. It's kind of in the old days, back when Mape had their development team, when they brought in guys like uh, Mick Rogers, Cancellara, Posato. And that's how you develop this kind of culture, this winning culture that you will get your shot at a quick step team because the big difference too with this team is they're not trying to uh, build a grand tour squad as well. Quick step's all about the classics. They're all about sprinting. You know, they're not going to have, you know, Richie Porter or Chris Froome uh, racing for the yellow jersey in July. Yeah, you saw that uh, with with Yves Lampard, I think, because Terpstra and Stibar have been up there for the last couple of years. Lampard is now 26 years old, but he was getting some opportunities even back when he was 23. I mean, he, he uh, was in the top 10 at Roubaix back in 2015 when he was 23. And he's been getting these every so often. They'll give him his chances. So they make sure that some of these younger guys do get their opportunities uh, in, well, often it's the smaller races. But yeah, with Lampard, it was, it was Roubaix itself that Lampard got that early big result. So you definitely get your chances to prove yourself. It's worked out really well so far, of course. It, it, who knows whether they'll... They'll be as uh, as optimistic and, and happy and and uh, smiling about all this if they end up going through another you know two year stretch like they had in uh, yeah in 2015 in 2016 where they weren't getting actual podiums in the big races. But for now, everything's working out uh, pretty well. Trek mentioned Mads Pedersen. Uh, John Degenkolb was sort of brought in to be their big classics guy, and it it just you know it didn't really work out last year. He has not been up there this year. But uh, they do seem to have some promising young guys with Pedersen, uh, Jasper Stoyven, obviously. So, sure, that, that the, the results that they're getting are not victories, but Pedersen is a, a very young guy. He's just 22 years old. 
So that's a, that guy's got a bright future, and they have to be pretty happy with that, especially with the disappointment of John Degenkolb. Yeah, I mean, Patterson went to ride by him. He's, it's his first uh, crack at, at Flanders. Uh, his marching orders were really to get in kind of any sort of late break in the last 25, 30 Ks of racing. He was smart and strong enough to follow out uh, Langvelt and Van Barl. And then for him to have that motor just to time trial it in behind Terpstra. You know, Terpstra gapped him, but kind of kept him at that gap for about 10, 15 seconds all the way to the line. So that just shows you really the quality of a rider like Peterson. I mean, the Danish fans are really excited about some of these young guys coming up. Valgren was uh, fourth. We have some other young riders coming up uh, from Denmark. And I had a chance to talk to Dirk DeMaul, the classic old hand at Trek Segafredo, about Pedersen. Let's hear what he had to say. How are you doing? Yeah, good. good. Quick uh, question. Uh, Mass Peterson, how big of a surprise is that? Well, yeah, um, it is a surprise that he is on the podium today. If you see uh, who we've got on the start line today, there were like uh, 20, 25 candidates for the podium, but I don't think that one was thinking on, uh, on Mats. Um, honestly, we knew that, that he's made for this kind of work and uh, if at the end of uh, Tireno when he finished off fourth in the last TT in, in, uh, in uh, between older specialists then you know he's in, he's in condition he's in condition um, because also one day he was in the breakaway over 200 kilos with six riders when you're 22 and you come from that and you're able to be fourth in the last TT and TT that, pro- that proves the condition sorry the condition was there then after that um, he went back home and he came, he, the weather was bad in Denmark and everything. So in the first two races in Belgium, in Harlebeke and in uh, Wevelkamp, he was not on the level that, that we expected him. But uh, then after Sunday, he said, but I needed those races. I'm, I'm again good. I feel it. I will be there. The next three races, I will be there. So he was in Waregem fifth. So he finished today second. And he promised me before Waregem, he's going to be there in Rubé as well. Wow. So one more moving up in the right direction. One more week to go. How impressive was it when, uh, you know, for him to get in that breakaway and then, you know, those guys off the front and then when Terpstra came up to him, yeah. he was still there. I mean, he was impressive. Yeah, yeah he was impressive. He, he missed just a little bit. Eh? I mean, because he was for a while done on three, four seconds and the gap gets a bit bigger, but then he stays forever at 10 seconds. Uh, also, Terpstra is, of course, uh, a rider with experience and he knew the effort is, by example, still 20 minutes to go. I have to, uh, I know what I can do. And uh, yeah, we were just, just uh, supporting Mats to, uh, to do the time trial, the time trial of his life because the, the podium is waiting for you in, in Flanders. Can you imagine that you be on the podium today? And we tried to push him, but it wasn't, it was, um, for me, it was, I mean, I said to some journalists in the beginning of the week, uh, when they say one name, I was saying Tepstra to yeah. him. Really, After, yeah, yeah. Because it was the only one who was for me, uh, with, his, with his win, with his demonstration in uh, Harbikat, that was the only one who was above, just above the others. Yeah, and yeah. he proved it today because the strongest one. How do you break the quick step uh, domination? Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's already uh, a couple of years. <laughs> it's already a couple of years that you can see that they are, are, are creating a group. Um, when they bring several riders in, in line, they have at least five who can win, or four or five who can win. And, and you know, once once the, 
the ball is rolling once the, the, the results are coming when the victories are coming it's, it's so much easier you can see I have seen also the last couple of weeks already a couple of times an impressive strong FDG who were in the past almost nowhere but they have Demar now finishing several times podium and you can see that the team is fighting and when your leader is good the rest, the rest follows how big is this podium for you guys today just to oh, big, yeah. big, big because again uh, we have been in each race uh, that we do since uh, since uh, on the world since Gent uh, in the north here we had we had uh, every every uh, race at least one in the top 10 and uh, we didn't have a podium yet so we are now on the podium in, in Flanders and this is just great I'm so happy with that and um, still uh, I, I repeat that uh, in my mind our strongest performance will be next Sunday yeah in Roubaix so uh, with the result of today um, my seven riders my seven riders are really a team and they are they are more mates for Roubaix than here and what we have seen today is promising so I'm, I'm I believe that we can that we can do a great race next Sunday as well all right man thanks for the time congratulations <laughs>that was Dirk Tamal, of course he's uh he won uh, Perry Roubaix back in the 80s I think in one of the, the longest breakaway efforts ever in Roubaix history great story there with Jamal used to work in a carpet shop got a chance to turn pro won that Roubaix he was a sport director back in the day he was really the guy who kind of picked talent scouted uh, Tom Bonin and had him on the U.S. Postal Service for one year. Then Lefevre wisely picked him up and had uh, Bonin emerge as a superstar. He's saying that Pedersen has that kind of talent who could be really emerging a big star. Another guy we saw, Dane, was another Dane named uh, Michael Valgren. Another impressive ride by Astana. I mean, those guys have been uh, making their presence known in these classics. I mean, strong performances by Danes all around in this classic season, both uh, on the bike and uh, with the pen. But uh, Valgren, he's had a really nice spring. I mean, he was a very surprising winner at Umlopet Newsblad. Not that he's not a talented guy, but I was not expecting that at all for him to be able to pull off that win. He's been somebody that, that has been kind of hyped as a, as a rider to watch for several years because he was already looking very promising as a, as a youngster. And he seems to have kind of finally reached the, 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 uh, the strength that a lot of people thought he might get to. Astana's got a couple of those young guys with um, Magnus Court as well. So maybe a classics team that in a couple of years from now will be able to get some of those big wins instead of just top fives. One other guy that I think will definitely be getting some classic wins in the in the near future, for now still riding with the uh, the Verandas Willems Kralin team, and he will be, I think, for next year as well. But wow, Van Eric, just every single big classic this year, he's been he's been impressive. He's been up there and and fighting with the big names in a race that, uh, I mean, every one of these races is about six times as long as what he's used to riding. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to call him Wow Van Aert. I mean, what a spring he's had coming off his third straight cyclocross world championship title. And he's going a lot deeper in these races than anyone expected. I mean, he had that nasty crash Wednesday at Dwarves when he ran into the race marshal. And so for him to bounce back and even race the run says a lot about his determination. And then for him to be there, I mean, he's the only guy, I think, in the top 10 that wasn't on a world tour team in the run yesterday. And for him to be there knocking shoulders with these big boys at 23, I mean, he is the revelation of these spring classics. I mean, third of that Stradi Bianchi was so emotional. But for him to 
back that up with these performances across these big races like Glenn Vogelbaum and Ron Van Flanderen. And we'll just see what he does at Roubaix. I mean, I think he's going to race, you know, really no pressure. And he'll just go out there, I think, and just do it. And, you know, being a cyclocross guy, Roubaix is probably going to favor him more than anything. Yeah, I think that with uh, with Pedersen, it's the same story. They, we've seen a lot of impressive stuff so far, but Roubaix actually probably the race that suits both of those guys the best. Uh, we've we've mentioned some of the young guys who impressed us. There was a, there was a veteran out there on the road on Sunday that I think stuck in the uh, in the mix for quite a lot longer than anybody expected. And beyond that, actually, he was the one that spurred the the race winning attack because Nicky Terpstra didn't just go from the pack. By himself, he followed a move from a, a Grand Tour winner, a multi-Grand Tour winner in Vincenzo Nibali. Yeah, what a, what a ride by the Shark. I mean, he kind of parachuted into Roubaix, to, Flan- to Flanders. Never had raced here before. He's, he's one of these guys that are, uh, you know, he's a fan of cycling. He likes to race in these big events. And he came in, I think, really yesterday to get a taste of what it's like to race here with the idea of perhaps coming back as his uh, career tapers off and try to win win the, the the Tour of Flanders. I mean, he made that move off the top of that climb, and Terpstra just followed that wheel, and Nibli took a few pulls that really just set up Terpstra for the win. Nibli came across the line, did a you know did a, a couple of interviews there at the finish line with Rye. Was, they flew in. La Gazeta had journalists here to cover it. Then he jumped in a plane and flew to Spain. Yeah, going to the Basque Country, that race is already hard enough to, to do it after doing Tour of Flanders. That sounds, uh, that sounds challenging, but uh, if anybody can do it, it's Vincenzo Nibli. By the way, we're talking about the classics here, and we're going to be talking about Roubaix soon enough, but uh, Pais Basco is going on right now. Good race and some big names there. Nairo Quintana among them uh, with uh, Mikel Landa. So in the middle of the week, as you're waiting for the classics to continue now uh, with Celdeprace and with uh, Roubaix, do uh, do be sure to check out Pais Basco. Plenty of uh, good storylines, I think, coming out of that race. So we've talked uh, We've talked. who impressed us. Who disappointed you, Andy, at uh, the Tour of Flanders? Uh, you have to look at Peter Sagan. He's the guy everyone looks to in these races. And really, so far, from what we've seen across the Northern Classic so far, Sagan is not really at that winning percentage that he needs to be at. Kind of surprised. I thought Sagan, when I, when I saw him down at the Tour Down Under, seemed like he was really going well in January. Always a good sign. Usually that momentum carries through into the Classics. Did not really look sharp. And we saw him struggling at the Harold Becca. You know, got dropped. He won... Again, Velgovem, out of a sprint, I mean, that's what he does best, right? Wins out of these kind of reduced sprints after a long distance. But he obviously did not have the legs yesterday to really change the race. He tried to chase late, really could make, could not make up much terrain on, on Terpsha. And he got swallowed up and obviously missed out, you know, didn't even get a podium when Joubert popped out there and got that third place. Uh, I mean, Sagan, to me, has not been the Sagan we all expected to see this year. Yeah, we, we did talk about it after Haralbeke and, and Gent Webelgum, how I think he, he silenced some of the Twitterverse a little bit, maybe, by, by taking that win in Gent Webelgum. But if you're looking ahead, I mean, if you're trying to use that for analysis purposes, he didn't, you know, it was a sprint. So you can't take a whole lot out of that in terms of what he looks like on the climbs. And we saw just how good of a uh, of a precursor for the Tour of Flanders E3 Haralbeke is. The guy that won E3 Haralbeke won the Tour of Flanders. And two guys that I think disappointed a little bit there, were once again disappointing at the Tour of Flanders, uh, Peter Sagan and, and Greg Van Avermaet as well. But with Sagan, at least in terms of his engine and his form, it's very hard, obviously, to get away from that chasing group when Gilbert and Stebar are going to jump on your wheel every time you try to close it down. But Sagan did get away. He had a, a little stretch there where he was by himself chasing, and he was 
basically he put no dent into Terpstra at all. So he, he was able to get away, but the engine just was not there to catch Nikki Terpstra, who is a very strong time trialist. And I think he's better at time trialing, pure time trialing than Sagan is. So that's maybe not a huge surprise. And, and Sagan, you really have to start to question really his place among the greats. I mean, if you count the number of monuments he's won, he's won one in his career. For a guy as prolific as he is, as popular as he is, you know, he does need to start racking up some of these bigger wins just to really bolster his Palmares. I mean, three world titles in a row, that's impressive enough. That kind of sets him up really in a place in history. I mean, to me, the world championship is like a monument. Obviously, it's a long distance. It's it's ranks right there as, as one of the highest uh, goals within uh, a professional cycling uh, career. But, you know, I mean, Sagan, he needs to, you know, he's been close to San Remo. That's a race he might never win. Uh, Roubaix, he's never done really great in a Roubaix. Uh, you know, that just shows you how hard it is to win these races. And Sagan, man, he's, he's 26, 27, you know, 28, 28. 28 thank yeah. you, coming in. And, I mean, normally that's when a rider is getting into the best years of his career. But you have to wonder, like, Sagan, his attitude is like, well, if I don't win, as long as, as, long as I put on a good show, that's all that really matters. But, you know, if he if he really wants to be considered one of the greats, but maybe that doesn't even matter to Peter Sagan. He is a great rider. I'm not saying that he's not. But, again, just kind of disappointing not to see him really take these classics by the by the scruff of the neck this year. Yeah, he, he is, as you pointed out, a three-time world champ. And obviously, I think we, we both think he's a very, very, very good rider. And, you know, certainly one of the best, if not the best, all-arounder uh, right now. But at the same time, Nicky Terps has won twice as many monuments as he has. So that's not exactly the kind of thing that you'd expect of a guy as talented as Sagan. And because I don't think Roubaix is as much suited to his talents as Flanders is, I don't I don't really think he's going to come away from this classic season um, with that sort of result, because I don't, I don't see Roubaix working out for him. So, with Sagan, it could just be another year where he's kind of hoping that the the Tour de France and, and the World Championships are what kind of make the season. And uh, that's a tall order, just because Worlds is not really that great for Sagan this year. Uh, we did point out Greg Van Avermaet, I think, also didn't quite live up to expectations. Uh, he keeps saying, and he said it when, when I talked to him, he keeps saying that he feels just as strong as last year. And he said it over and over again. He's not backing down from that. Uh, and, you know, Baldato, the sports director, says the same thing. They really do think he's just as strong. Uh, but the results are not coming. And he has he has a podium uh, among these various big one days. But he has just not gotten the results that uh, people expect of a guy who is an Olympic champion and, and a Roubaix champion. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me Van Evermet is just perhaps off that 1% off of just being the dominant rider that he was last year. I remember last year he had that tremendous run winning really four of the five of the big kind of classics here in this run across uh, Belgium. And this year, you know, he just – you haven't seen him being that dominant force in the race that people are riding off his strength. He's the one that's being reacting to quick step. And he's the kind of a rider that he just – he gets boxed in by this quick step four-card option because – you know, if he's not going with the winning move, he's going to be in that bunch sprint. But that bunch sprint's not coming back when you have a guy like Nicky Terpstra up the road. And so, uh, Van Avermaet, he, he, you know, he's just – I mean, every time I look at his face, he has a face of suffering. Of course, all these guys do. But when you're suffering and you're winning and you're suffering and you're losing, it's a different kind of look in his eye. And I think this year, he just clearly does not quite have that level. We'll see what he does in Roubaix. I mean, last year that kind of was, you know, saving his uh, – Otherwise, and his season was still already, but he had that disappointment of not winning Flanders last year and came up with a big monument win at 
Robay, which was his first one of his career. Uh, we'll see what he does on Sunday. But man, I mean, I know he wants to win Flanders, and he still hasn't doesn't have it. I do think Roubaix gives him a, a pretty strong opportunity, and it gives all these guys an opportunity. For, particular for me, the big question is uh, how does Quick Step play Roubaix? Because we've heard Philippe Jobert talk about wanting to win Roubaix, and I, I personally actually don't think Philippe Jobert is very well suited to Roubaix. And to me, that's sort of a that's a bit of a pipe dream or a pie in the sky for for Gilbert. He's he's not that kind of rider, really. And I do think there's a possibility that that Quick Step maybe tries to play it for Gilbert instead of for Stebar or Terpster, who are, I think, significantly better suited to that race. And uh, that could kind of open the door for Sagan or for Van Avermaet or any of these other guys who are hoping to break the quick-step stranglehold on the Classics this year, which has been pretty tight. Um, another disappointer, Andy, maybe not a rider, but uh, the race jury? Yeah, we saw yesterday Luke Rowe got disqualified for riding on a bike path slash sidewalk through a village going to or the, the base of the old Quaramont. And, man, 10 minutes later, he was disqualified by the race jury, pulled out of the race before, I think, after he got over the Copenberg. And poor Luke Rowe, I mean, he'd been through the ringer over these past few months. He broke his leg in a rafting accident last summer. You know, wasn't really expected to race these classes. Came back and uh, was really riding well. And when he came into, uh, they came into this kind of this village – and he said, we had a chance to talk to him at the finish line yesterday, that the, the race, he was at the tail end of that group. The race, race just kind of whiplashed. He kind of got bounced up onto the, onto the sidewalk, rode really 150 meters, braked, avoid hitting a, a pedestrian, jumped back on the back end of the group. He did not get a, any advantage from his little trot across the bike path. And he was eliminated from the race. I just think that's way beyond the, the realm of what that race was that rule was supposed to do in a in a race like this and for him to get disqualified I thought was outrageous yeah I actually I tend to be pretty much a, a pretty strong stickler for these rules and then when they come out with uh, a decision that uh, a lot of people are frustrated with oh how could you time cut him you know he tried I'm usually like well okay the rules there for a reason but in this case yeah if you're avoiding a crash I think typically they they do give you some leeway there. And so for Rhoda to get DQ'd and, as you said, to not really get an advantage out of this, he was only on for 150 meters. It's not like he held onto a car and sped up at 50 miles an hour. Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like he got a toe up a climb or anything like that. So this is or one of Or riding the sidewalk to avoid riding over the cobbles of the pocket. Right, right. He didn't. It wasn't like he just went in with this premeditated plan of, oh, this is, this is where I'm going to ride on the sidewalk. Uh, I think it was sort of spur-of-the-moment decision to save himself from possible further injuries. So in this case, I was a little surprised that uh, they didn't give him a bit of the benefit of the doubt there. But Roe will be back in action, I think, up here pretty soon. He said that he'll be very motivated, doubly motivated for Roe next Sunday. And Sky with pretty nice showing with Dylan Van Barla and with Luke Rowe and obviously uh, Mikhail Kwiatkowski at uh, at Flanders. So not not necessarily an outlandish uh uh, notion for them to have another strong performance at Perubay. Uh, another one that that was a bit of a bummer. Maybe I don't want to say he was disappointing because, in in all honesty, it was just another one of those days. But man, Stefan Marka, this guy can't catch a break. Uh, sometimes he he is. I think the form isn't quite there. But this time he crashed like ten minutes into the race. He had multiple mechanical issues. He crashed again when things were heating up. Uh, just the the sort of perfect kind of Sepp Van Marke kind of day. Just it's what everybody kind of expects when Sepp Van Marke takes the start line. Is this is going to happen to him? And and it happened again in Flanders. So at, at least Van Marke is going to have another chance at Roubaix. But uh, one of those tough ones for Sepp Van Marke. 
Yeah, he, he's actually been, I think, as strong as he's been really in two years at these, at these classics. The results haven't showed he's at a couple of uh, uh, podiums at uh, Duar and, uh, again, at uh, uh, Omloop to start off the classic season. You know, I was talking to Johan Museo there at a quick step event, and he, he said he thought that Sepp was going to win the Rhone. Uh, again, I think we we're both in agreement, Dana. I think that even uh, Roubaix suits him better than the Flan- Flanders. So we'll see. I mean, you know, here's a guy who's been banging his head against the wall. He's still only 29, going into really uh, his best years as a classics writer. I think Roubaix is overdue for a guy like Sam Van Mark and uh, Stebar. You know, I think it's going to be. I think this railway this year is going to be a race for guys who are overdue for wins. Yeah, I would really like to see that actually, because but you know both those guys. Well, I think that they can both look to Greg Van Avermaet at, for a little bit of solace because Van Avermaet was that nearly man for years and years. Uh, Van Marka is reaching that point of being a nearly man for years and years as well. But Van Avermaet didn't get that big big win until a little bit later in in his career. I mean, he won that Olympic title. Uh, a little bit later in his career. And then Roubaix, he won Roubaix after going to that race and, and not succeeding and after going to the Tour of Flanders and not succeeding for years. So if you're a Van Marke, well, you're probably pretty bummed, but you can at least say, well, Van Avermaet didn't get that big win until uh, he was a veteran, you know? So so yeah, I, I do think it would be pretty cool to see him or Stebar or any one of those guys who's been kind of banging the head against the wall come away with the win at Roubaix. And that's a great thing about a race like Roubaix. It's a race where... You know, luck has a lot to do with who wins that race. So oftentimes it's not necessarily the strongest rider or even the strongest team that can get that win. We saw uh, just a couple of years ago when the Matt Heyman, the Australian guy, yeah. I, think, I think he'd ridden 15 times Roubaix, came back from an injury. No one put him on the radar, and he delivers this ride. You see guys like just over the past, I mean, Roubaix is that one race of the year where I think persistence and determination – does pay off over the long run because you need that experience. You need that kind of just, you know, really digging deep in Roa Bay. Crashes are going to happen. Punctures are going to happen. It's the guy that just keeps digging and digging and digging and they could come up with that win. And it might be that one and once in a career performance where you get that win. You're looking at the right there, Johan Van Sumer and some of, yeah, the, some yeah. of these I other mean, guys. If you look back, it's really funny with Roa because you have uh, in the last like 15, 20 years, you have uh, multiple stretches of Conchalara and Bonin, who are names that everybody says, oh, you know, there was a stretch where they were dominating. Well, kind of, but they also, there were years there where, yeah, Johan von Sommeren won, and yeah, Matt Heyman won. Matt Heyman has one World Tour victory in his entire career. He's 39 years old. He's won one World Tour race. It happens to be the queen of the classics, Perry Roubaix. So this is a race where you can get some surprises. Magnus Backstedt, another guy. I mean, there, there's, there's riders who come away from Roubaix. And they just totally surprise you. And it can be that that one big win in their whole career, which is pretty exciting knowing going into this race that that's a possibility. Yeah, I think it's, a, you know, we could see some surprise winners next week at uh, Roubaix. Maybe an old veteran, but perhaps some of these guys, like a guy who impressed me so far this classic season has been Damar. You know, I think that uh, Groupana, Groupama, uh, F. Dejou was riding very aggressively yesterday at the Ron. Damar was right there in the mix. I think he faded there at the end a little bit. But he's a guy who could really bounce over the cobbles well and really put uh, France in pole position to, to win Roubaix. Yeah, Damar's had a very interesting career at Roubaix because he's, he's had a number of years where 
Uh, he's had punctures or crashes or things that really just took him out of contention. And so I don't think we've ever had that much of a chance to really see what he's capable of when things go your way at Roubaix, which is really, I mean, it's not that common for everything to go your way at Roubaix. That's one of the things that makes it Perry Roubaix. But if everything goes his way, if he doesn't crash, if he doesn't puncture, he is one of those guys who could surprise. I mean, the same could be said for Seth Van Marke, where pretty much every year something goes wrong for him. But there's a number of those guys where you don't really know what they're capable of if everything goes right. And typically at Roubaix, only one of the one or two of the contenders actually has everything go right. Most of them do puncture; they crash at one point. Now that, that's kind of how Roubaix works. But I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised this year to see a relatively large group come in to Roubaix. The forecast, we were just checking earlier today, Dane, the forecast for this weekend looks to be you know, really great conditions again for Robe. Sunny skies, probably some wind, wind noise kicks up, temperatures in the high 60s. So it's not going to be that wet Robe everybody was hoping for. Uh, in that scenario, you could see a, a relatively large group come in. That's, you know, we got a guy like uh, Marcel Kittle lining up. I mean, I don't think big Marcel is going to survive really deep into the race. But that's how a guy like John Degenkolb won a couple years ago, everybody coming out of a group. Uh, but then it, it all comes down to, I think, really how Quick Step's going to play the tactics. I think they'll want to try to send some of these guys like Stebar and Terpster up the road and save Joubert for that kind of reduced bunch sprint scenario. So we have all week to talk about Robe. I'm looking forward to it. To me, I mean, everyone talks about how great Flanders is. I'm a huge Flanders fan. But for me, Robe takes the cake when, in terms of what is the best monument. I think if you're the kind of person who likes uh, uncertainty going into a bike race, Roubaix is definitely a good one for you. D- there are times, of course, where the strongest rider wins Roubaix, but there's quite a few times where the strongest rider crashes out 10 minutes into Roubaix, and then you get a whole new, you know, whole new ball game out there. So, but you're right. I think Quick Step. Everybody's, everybody's going to look at Quick Step. Uh, what can they, what can these teams that are not Quick Step do? Uh, I'm not really sure what the game plan is going to be for BMC or Bora. To me, the game plan has to just be, well, I hope some of these guys crash because I don't know what else they can really do. Well, I think they have to react immediately when, when Quick Steps in guys up the road. That was, I think, the big mistake the teams made yesterday. Sure. When Terpster went, it's like, man, you don't just sit there and watch them right away. I mean, I know it comes down to brute force. You know, Obviously, maybe they weren't strong enough to react. Because yeah. You saw I, everyone really on the limit yesterday at Flanders. It was kind of a brutal race. I think it was a tight race yesterday because I think everyone was so much on – in the red zone yesterday, it was a fast race. Um, the pace was strong all the way across the last 100K of racing. So when Terpster went, I mean, I don't think a lot of guys really had the legs to follow. And that's 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 the tactical play. When, when Quick Step moves, you got to be all over it because if not, they'll be gone. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's maybe a little bit easier said than done because it is, it's not easy to follow Nicky Terpster. But, but, you know, BMC had some guys in that group. And, and you think maybe... Uh, had they been positioned a little differently, maybe it would have worked out. So it's not all bad. I think I don't think they're coming away from Flanders with with no hope. I think there is hope uh, of challenging Quickstep at Roubaix. You just kind of have to, um, you know, got to keep your fingers crossed if you're not Quickstep that, yeah, that things are working out perfectly. Because I do think they need things to work out perfectly at Roubaix to to take on Quickstep. But yeah, uh, that's going to be coming up here on Sunday. Scallop race on Wednesday here, a nice little sprinter-friendly semi-classic to keep an eye on. Marcel Kittle going to be there, I think, uh, going for like his 57th win or something like that. That guy wins Scallop race every year. And, of course, we mentioned that uh, Vuelta al País Vasco going on in Spain right now. Lots of good racing to be watched there. A number of big guys, Quintana, Landa, 
Uh, Richie Port's down there. Michael Matthews probably going to win some uh, of the sprinter-friendly stages. So plenty of big names to watch while you're waiting for the classics to reach their, well, at least, at least their cobbled conclusion here on Sunday. The podcast will have plenty more content coming up pretty soon. There's going to be a recon ride to preview Paris-Roubaix. We're going to try to do some predictions, see if we can't nail the podium there. Uh, try to try to pick some winners that, that do pretty well, like we did for <clears throat> Tour of Flanders, by the way. So please tune in soon uh, for that, and we will catch you in a couple of days. See you soon.